All right, hello everyone. This is Thomas Cruz of SAE and Associates. Hope everyone is doing well. Uh, grant season is certainly underway, and uh, SAMHSA has been releasing new funding opportunities left and right. One of those RFAs is the targeted capacity expansion focused on substance use disorder treatment for minority women at high risk for HIV AIDS. I'm excited to say that we're joined by Peter Bird, who has worked with us on a number of grant projects and has years of experience in HIV AIDS. Uh, Peter, if you don't mind talking yourself up a bit, uh, can you tell us a bit about that and how you became interested in HIV AIDS? I, I, I guess became interested is, is a funny way to put it because I was infected 28 years ago. And at the time that I was infected, basically all of the attention, all of the treatment, all of the care was focused for gay men mm -hmm. who were basically dying. And then as I became ill 10 years after my infection, it's when I found services. I was connected to services. Um, I became aware of the planning council. I became aware of the Ryan White funding processes right. and all of the support services that are, that are added to it. But I was glad to see that not long after that, especially Ryan White Part B, uh, Youth Family Services, Youth Family and Children, became more focused on women who were becoming infected at a higher rate every year. So I'm glad to see these programs for women now. Right, right, right. Well, I, I appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. So I, I wanted to speak to you for a bit just to address the uh, elements of what providers should be thinking about in terms of uh, providing quality services to women. Now, when you look at the, uh, I'm not sure if you got a chance to look at the uh, SAMHSA RFA a bit. I but, did, yes. Oh, great, great, great. Yeah, so what, what are some approaches that uh, applicants can take to reduce HIV infection and transmission rates among high-risk minority women? I think it has to be it has to be part of your strategic plan. It can't be just something that I think we'll do this because this is a great idea. It has to be part of your fundamental strategic plan. Absolutely. That you already are working with minority populations, minority populations who have substance abuse mm -hmm. conditions, uh, populations that know they can have peer-driven services, support services, because it's really important that the people who are working with you are authentically engaged in your care. Right. Now, um, you know, in terms of uh, evidence-based practices or EBPs as they're often referred to, what, in your opinion, would be an effective EBP that comes to mind when thinking about the aims of this RFA? I have had uh, several organizations who worked with the Color It Real evidence-based practice. It was originally done in a um, quasi-experimental fashion in Atlanta for populations of color, male and female. This was ages 18 to 24. Okay. And the hypothesis was that participants in this program would self-report an increased use of condom use and a reduction in substance use and perceived stress levels upon completion of the program. One of the unique and really important pieces of the program, this element is the attention to stress. Especially when you're working with women 
there are issues such as child care, right. um, uh, partner issues, and then if you have gender identity issues, it's another level of stress. Uh, often e economic issues become fundamental to what they can do and what they can do being caring for themselves. Often, and, and not, not to generalize, but often women are caring for family members, children, uh, spouses, and, and they're not caring for themselves. And this is one of the huge things about this new targeted program is that it, it almost teaches women how to care for themselves. Right. Part of the, the evidence, part of the Color It Real project is a seven-week, two-hour training program, peer-driven training program to reduce substance abuse, mm -hmm. to uh, negotiate safe sex. It's a training program where they, they are not only able to train themselves at the Train the Trainer program, but while they're learning these things, they're able to implement these care methods for themselves. Positive attitudes, effective communications. Mm -hmm. It's just a very wide, uh, effective program for people of color and can be modified for gender-specific programs. Right, right, right. And I think that's, uh, that's an element to this uh, that often gets overlooked, the, the need to, uh, we need to be able to uh, say that we've educated women and uh, increase their awareness of like safer sex practices, you know, whether it be condom use or whatever, and uh, helping them make informed decisions about their health, right? Exactly. Yeah. Tom, years ago, when, when universities and organizations did research regarding people of color, the, the, the entities would come into your neighborhood, get the information they wanted, and then they would leave, and you were left with, the, with what, you, what they came with. Right. Now, one of the big things is that every interaction that individuals have, they come out with something for themselves. The, the attention also to the stress levels of poverty, of racism, of gender-specific marginalization, that's a huge piece that I don't, I'm not aware of it having been uh, elemental right. to evidence-based practices. So that's one of the things that makes this unique. And I think it's going to be one of the things that makes it effective, no matter how it's modified. Mm -hmm. I think one of the one of the things that became a huge part of how I how I approach services for for specific populations, I did peer education for AIDS in a, in a women's prison system in a northeast state years ago. Oh wow! What I found was that the women who came who were who were were inmates said that their time in prison was the first time they felt safe. Wow. Oh. It's the first time they felt protected. Right. And they were able to learn. They were, they were doing all kinds of things that they never had. And, and these were not people who were born in jail. These were people who were teachers. These were people who were part members of society, were working, they had families. And usually the drugs became part of it, but the drugs were a result of, of early trauma in their life or abusive relationships. But one of the things that 
is vital to the success of any program is that the individuals have to feel safe. Right. Um, a setting for that can often be a consumer advisory board, even if they only meet once a month. It's a place where individuals can feel valued. It's a place where individuals can communicate the things that that they feel isolated about that are not simply in their lives, but the people who they're with in the consumer advisory boards also experience these things. It's a place where people can hear how other people are addressing their issues. It has the same framework often as maybe a 12-step program, although it's not drug-focused. But that's a place where a lot of the individuals who seek care learn how to listen, learn how to share, learn how to... It's a a peer-led program. Right. And so it, it really crosses over very well into the support services and HIV AIDS specific services for people of color. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's, it's again, not, not part of any, any program, but when people begin to work as a group, there's more power in your decisions. There's more validity to your issues. Right. There's more um, impetus to continue because you're, you're, you're part of a group, mm-hmm. part of a group. And even though that can have, you know, a, a, a flip side of, of outcomes, basically having a place to feel safe as you receive your care. Um, stigma is still a huge issue, but there's something that's normalized when you become part of a group who who's poor, who's black, who's uh, abused, who have who has experienced trauma, but there's a normalcy that can be achieved when there's a group setting and you're all here to heal. So so the, the authenticity of a safe place to learn how to take care of yourself because it's new. It's new for a lot of people right. and it takes practice and it's not something that you'll you know, get a hundred on the test and then you don't have to do it. It's, it's a constant right. evolution Absolutely. in how individuals make choices in their lives. Right. And I think, uh, you know, what you were just mentioning uh, speaks to, you know, this evaluation piece, right? Because once you receive this funding, you have to show SAMHSA that you're really fulfilling the proposed plan. Right. You're implementing right. the proposed and, and, plan. And the instruments that are used in this uh, this SAMHSA grant is it, it really is it goes hand in hand with the colored real evidence base and most evidence based programs where there's a constant um, a, a constant uh, interviewing a constant way of receiving information from participants to know that what we're actually trying to do we're actually doing. The outcomes that we're actually seeking, you're seeing the differences in your life. Right. Are you using a condom more often? Are you conscious of using a, a condom more often? Are you using harm reduction practices mm-hmm. if you're actively using um, drugs? Is your tobacco use changing? Are you becoming willing to make changes? In your, it's, a, it's a huge behavioral thing, and it can only really be I guess, documented in a database way, mm-hmm. these instruments that continuously 
uh, check in with, with the, the consumers. Right. Right, right, right. And, and I think uh, actually that what you mentioned, the, um, this conversation that needs to be had, but it's, you know, it's not necessarily one that people are willing to talk about, right? Uh, it's not, it's, this is it's, a... It's, it's still it's, such a huge stigma. I, re, I can remember right. when I was part of programs um, at Whitman Walker in Washington and at the Moore Clinic at Hopkins in Baltimore, to have someone asking you 70 questions right. on your very personal life, right. it's something that you really, it's, it's, you just have to form, I guess we can form so many other habits, mm -hmm. but this is a habit that you begin to form to be able to communicate about your life, about yourself, in order to be able to make changes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in our previous podcast, uh, Dr. Lone Mai, she's she's the uh, director of population health management here at SAE. She was saying like you you can't you can't just walk up to some kids, you know, and just say, hey, do you use condoms? You know, it's not it's yeah. not that simple. So um, yeah, and it's all it's also one of those things, the, the assessment of the progress or the lack of progress that the program is making, mm -hmm. it's, it's not only important to the, the, the organization that receives funding, but it's also important to the individuals who are learning to how to care for themselves in a different way. And, and only sometimes when you have said something out loud, uh, are, are you aware of yourself? Because if I talk with you all the time, you know what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. But do do I know what my behaviors are resulting in? Mm -hmm. you know, am I aware of what what the result is? They used to tell us when when I, I had a, a cocaine, cocaine addiction, and when they when we talked about relapse, they would say play the tape all the way to the end. Because whatever whatever party you might have now for twenty minutes or two hours, what about tomorrow when you're coughing? What about tomorrow when you forgot to take your meds? Right, right, right. What about when you miss an appointment because you're still trying to get somebody to leave your house? You know, it's it's play the tape to the end, and so this is a new way. It was new for me, and it's a new way for people to begin to care for themselves and put themselves first, not to the exclusion of others. But um, it's that old thing people used to say, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. Mm -hmm. If you're not well, you can't keep your children well or your spouse well or care for a parent unless you're taking care of yourself. Right. One of the things I, I would like to say, though, is when the grants are being written, mm -hmm. uh, again, go, going back to the authenticity piece. Right. Does your program really see people? Does your program really hear them? Um, when, when a reviewer sees an application that talks about minority people, there's a way that you're talking about an individual that the reviewer knows you're not part of these people's lives. Right. So the authenticity factor is the big thing. And, and even if your program is authentic, are you making steps to bring yourself to, to the next level? Because even as, well, I, I don't want to say especially, but often in small communities where these programs exist, there's still a lot of stigma around lesbian women, mm -hmm. about gay or, or queer people. 
And even as African-Americans, I'm African-American, even as African-American people understand being marginalized and dismissed in society, we still have a lot of work to do on accepting who people are when it comes to gender identity issues. Is, is this authentic in your program? Mm -hmm. Those are the things that need to be sort of um, self-identified right. as you begin to tell someone else about why your program should be funded and why you believe you're the right organization to make these changes in your community. Right, right. Well, you've definitely provided some great crunch time tips for organizations on the home stretch of their applications. I appreciate you taking the time to call in, Peter, and we'll be in touch as other HIV AIDS opportunities come out. All right, Thomas. Thanks again. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. All right, that concludes our SAE Cares podcast for today. I want to thank Peter for calling in to share his thoughts on effective HIV AIDS programs for minority women. And certainly a lot of what was discussed will give us more to think about as other HIV AIDS focused opportunities are released. Again, my name is Thomas Cruz, and if you have any questions, feel free to email me at tcruz at saeassociates.com. That's T-C-R-U-Z at saeassociates.com. And you can subscribe to our mailing on our website, saeandassociates.com, for e-blasts on new funding opportunities, informative issue briefs, and updates on everything related to behavioral health. Take care.